Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Welcome to the latest edition of the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Richard Amofa from the Beyond the Athlete Podcast, and Sarah Shepard from The Athletic. Never underestimate Lionel Messi as a politician. He knows just how much power he wields at Barcelona. But, for the sake of argument, let's assume he's serious about wanting to leave. Manchester City, we're told are prominent among those who would pay him at least £90 million a year to play for them. It would be an historic deal, a huge boost for the Premier League. Great for City, certainly. In all probability, it would bring them the Champions League title they crave. But what about English football as a whole? Now, Richard, apologies in advance for this hospital pass, but could City become too good for the common good. Obviously, the addition of Messi would make them clear favourites in, in every competition that, that they go in for. We're looking at, at you know, at English football, we've seen their dominance since, since Pep Guardiola's come in, apart from last season, of course, and almost a stranglehold, again, apart from last season, over the domestic competitions as well. So, I, yeah, I mean, again, you know, with the addition of Messi, it, it's it's going to be quite hard for anybody to come close to them, really. But, I mean, City do have their issues, of course. I mean, you know, I know they've tried to strengthen at the back. They've got Nathan Aki in, looking at Koulibaly. So they've, they've still got those kind of Achilles heels. And, again, if you're looking at the kind of wider kind of impact on football, I mean, you look at Liverpool in terms of their squad and how football's turning towards, you know, the, the application of systems more, more than personnel, that might be the saving grace for other teams. As you say, you look at a kind of Liverpool's high-pressing style, for example, and, and everybody working towards that kind of common goal. That might be where they have their benefits. But, I mean, in terms of personnel, player for player, you know, you'd expect Manchester City with Messi in the squad to uh, to ball those 9 to 9.9% of teams, definitely. Mm, yeah, no-one would turn him down if they could afford him, Sarah. But I suppose, you know, as Richard alluded to there, is it a bit of a story out of its time since it's now more against, uh, sorry, more about organic growth, if you look at Liverpool's example, than the sort of Galactico-driven hysteria that we've become used to? Maybe. Is it more important for Manchester City 
to secure Pep Guardiola on a longer contract? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think fans and and lots of people in the football world, if you're going to have a choice, would love to see clubs do it the way that Liverpool have done it with smart recruitment and then taking the time to really build something. But I'm not sure if City have the patience for that kind of organic growth. And in terms of, of Pep Guardiola, you know, you could see it as one and the same thing. You know, he's... He, well, City have wanted Messi apparently for, for about a decade, I think our, our, our City reporter, um, Sam Lee, reported. You know, and, and and they felt, they did feel earlier this year that there might be a chance to sign him this summer. And given, you know, how long they've wanted him and the relationship that Guardiola already has with Messi, you know, it could be one and the same thing, that that bringing Messi to Manchester City might be something that, that convinces Guardiola to to hang around for a few more seasons. You know, he's got the chance to manage one of the, the best player in the world again, you know, and which I don't think he he probably didn't believe he was he was going to get because I, I think he felt that Messi would finish his career at Barcelona. Yeah, you know, City we're told wants a constructive relationship with UEFA after their little spat in court or big spat in court. I suppose that's a positive sign, Richard, but just in practical terms, how do you think any messy move would pass financial fair play? You know, is that principle, to all intents and purposes, dead? Well, I think that the fact that you know, see, Manchester City kind of got away with it does kind of put FFP almost dead in the water. And if you're looking at the figures involved in in the Messi deal, I mean, some of the figures are, are astronomical in terms of his weekly wage and his his image rights and and stuff like that as well. I think. It wouldn't be looked upon favourably, especially just so soon after the verdict, which which went in their favour. But, you know, as, as they say, is FFP really a viable concept anymore? And if the Messi deal does go through, I mean, that does really end any concept of FFP moving forward, for sure. Yeah, we're basically in the territory again, Sarah, aren't we, that big clubs are almost becoming bigger than the game itself, or certainly bigger than the people who want to administer the game. You know, the practicality of the deal is that Messi wouldn't pay for himself with merchandise. I think it's been calculated that they'd need to sell 200,000 shirts a week to meet his weekly wage, which is around about a million pounds a week. You know, as Richard alluded to there, 9.1 million a year loyalty fees, 12 12 million bonuses, about 13 million. It's nice work if you can get it, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, any, any club you know, that that brings Messi in, if he does end up leaving Barcelona, it surely will just it just shatters all the structures that, that those clubs would have put in place over the years, you know, in terms of the wages that they pay, the fees that they pay, you know, even even the age ranges of the players that they bring in. But, you know, he is he is a special player, as we know, and, and, and I think any club really who can afford it, it is probably going to overlook all of those things. And I think City is probably the only club in England that I can see being able to do that, you know, especially if there's going to be lots of legal wrangling over whether there is actually a transfer fee needed for him. If there is, then that that rules out probably the likes of Inter. And then you kind of think it's down to PSG or or, or City, really. So, you know, I think I think City would find a way to make it work. I'd be very surprised if if the possibility is there that they they turn it down. What about Chelsea, Richard? You know, obviously Roman Abramovich could afford it. I suppose 
that would fly in the face of their uh, supposed youth policy. But is that policy already being torn up? Because, you know, there, there's been a lot of investment uh, in this window by Chelsea and and quite frankly, there's more to come. Yeah, I think last season was almost a, a wild card, really, for, for Lampard in terms of that youth policy. I know for years, you know, it's been a hot topic in English football, with, you know, with Chelsea youngsters and, you know, by far, probably alongside Man City, having the best youth youth teams and youth system in the country. And it's always a case of when will the young players get a chance? And last season, you know, they, they did do. And I feel a lot of them did take their chances. I mean, Mason Mount played over 50 games. Tammy Abraham was the top goal scorer. And I thought Tamori did well when he came in, as did Reese James. So it would be a shame to see almost that blockage again. But at the same time, Chelsea are a big club. And, you know, it would be a test of the character for, for the young players to... To, to deal with you know these these players coming in. I mean, on the one hand, you can say it will help elevate them in terms of being around more quality players day in, day out. But at the same time, training can only go so far. You do need that game time. And as you said, it's been a long-standing issue at Chelsea with giving these young players a chance. And I think now, especially after last season, them doing relatively well, you would like to see them progress, especially with so many English players there as well. Only good for our national team. But... Um, I think, see, Chelsea did well to get in the top four, but I think now they're looking to really kick on to that next level and say the introduction of uh, of their new signings will definitely take them there. So it's a challenge for the young players for sure, but I think if Chelsea really want to compete at the top level, they do need to get those players in. Yeah, it it does look like that. You know, players like you know Tomori, who made his 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 breakthrough last season, probably will be put out on loan. Malang Saar, who's the French under-21 central defender, looks set to sign about a four-year contract. He might well be put out on loan to get some experience. I suppose, Sarah, the question is, you've got Chelsea. Okay, they're committed to paying around about three-quarters of a million pounds a week in wages for Werner, Havertz and Ben Chilwell. That investment, will that get them close to the Premier League title? Well, if you look at the the points difference, I think between Chelsea and Liverpool this season was was humongous, as it was between Liverpool and most other teams, um, yeah. obviously. So closing that gap, if you know, if Liverpool are going to do a similar thing this season, which is a is a big question, you know, they've done it, they've kind of done it for two seasons in a row. Doing it for three seasons in a row feels like, you know, the impossible job, really, but you wouldn't put it past them. Closing that gap, I think it, it probably does require this kind of investment. When you look at the squad that, that Chelsea had, loads of young talent, but but the experience perhaps wasn't there. So, you know, it, it this will be a huge test for Lampard because spending that kind of money is going to put huge pressure on him to to deliver something, you know, whether that's the title, whether that's another trophy... You know, I think realistically he'll probably be be thinking, you know, moving up a place from from last season will be will be success. But whether they can catch, you know, the likes of Liverpool and and City with whatever happens there over the next few months, you know, is is is, is another question. I think. Mm, there's been a lot of talk, obviously, about the potency out front, Richard. But is it just as significant that Chelsea are beginning to sort out the defence? Ben Chilwell looks to be a left-back for the next decade. You've got the probability that Thiago Silva will come in and add his experience. 
They've got to sort the goalkeeper, obviously, but are they becoming a more rounded team? Absolutely. Well, as you say, if Thiago Silva gets over the line, obviously Malang Sar coming in, I think that will help make them a more a more well-rounded proposition. I mean, they, they conceded far too many goals last season. They conceded 54 goals in the league, far too many goals from set pieces and equally weak on the, on the transition as well. So I think getting in, you know, an, an experienced centre-back like, like Thiago Silva will make a big difference. I know there's talk of Malang Sar, as you mentioned, going out alone perhaps, but I feel with centre-backs is almost Chelsea's... Well, I think the positions there are, are up for grabs and he, he might feel that he, he, he might be able to challenge because, I mean, Rudiger hasn't been as convincing as what you'd hope as the more senior centre-back. And then Zuma and Christensen have kind of gone in and out of form over the season. So, I mean, that that's the real position as well as the goalkeeper that you've mentioned that um, are the ones which Chelsea really need to look at. So I think getting Thiago Silva in would definitely take them in the right direction for sure. Mm, yeah, you know, as Richard says there, Sarah, you know, young defenders might well be in, in vogue this season. You know, you look at Arsenal, for instance... You've got uh, William Saliba, who's coming in and is expected to make an instant impact. Is that a broader thing across the league that clubs are recognising the value of young defenders? Because, frankly, as an art, defending isn't at its best at the moment. Yeah, I, I think so. And it is interesting that Chelsea are bringing in a guy who will be probably 36 by the time he plays his first game for Chelsea. But I just think with with the way that you know the top clubs now are are playing more high pressing football, you know it requires an athleticism and an energy level that that you know suits the younger players perhaps better than it does someone like like Thiago Silva, who I think will be a valuable addition to Chelsea. But but whether he can he can play that style of football, I'm I'm not so sure. Saliba looks like a really good addition. I saw a bit of him in a friendly the other day against MK Dons. And he looks, yeah, he looks like um, a solid, you know, physical presence, but someone who who's also able, able to bring the ball out from the back and, and play it. So I think the the way that teams are, are choosing to play now with that high-pressing high style just, just lends itself to the, the younger generation of, of defenders. Yeah, we've got the Community Shield this weekend, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But um, you know, after that, we've got the international break. Uh, you know, we don't we need to break of sorts, I suppose. But that's on the horizon. Richard, why hasn't the Nations League been scrapped? Because I don't see, I don't sense any real anticipation for these matches. No, I'm I'm just as surprised as you are. To be fair, Mike. I mean, I, to be fair, I really enjoyed it. The season before last one when it was on and obviously England got, got quite deep into the competition but I just feel with everything that's gone on and with such a congested season this season and, and next season as well with the World Cup coming up and obviously Euros this summer I just think maybe a bit of common sense could have been applied here and she said the players are going to need as, as you know as, as many breaks as, as they as they can get and um yeah it just seems a bit of a strange one for me I know it was successful as you say last year but um I just don't see the, the real need for it this year, really, with such a congested schedule coming up. Can you foresee problems, Sarah, between the FA, who've got a terribly narrow tightrope to walk, and leading clubs, who frankly will be looking at the workload on their players? Yes, I think I think there will undoubtedly be, be tension there, but Southgate and, and Steve Holland have 
been very good in the past at, at, at in improving that communication between the FA and the clubs. And I'm sure that will continue. I'm, I'm sure there have already been a lot of conversations, particularly with the Manchester clubs who are obviously playing in Europe until, you know, about a week ago or something ridiculous <laughs> um, about managing that fatigue, you know, because there, there is there is the potential for, for tensions to rise because like this season is, is just going to be crazy in terms of the workload. And I think Southgate will understand that he has to manage the players very carefully in this break because there are already a lot of fears among clubs about, you know, the impact that, that it's gonna players are gonna feel this season. In terms of what you were talking about previously with the why the Nations League hasn't been scrapped, I just can't help but feel, you know, it's it's almost a power play. You know, UEFA UEFA won't want to make it look as though their competition is somehow less important than domestic football, you know, so them them scrapping it would almost be an admittance of that. That's kind of my part of my suspicion. But also I think there is a major tournament next summer. So for national teams and associations, you know, these fixtures, whether they're friendlies or Nations League fixtures are important. It, they'll see, see them as important in preparation for that. Yeah, I suppose, you know, if you look at it, the UEFA leadership are, are probably also throwing a bone to the smaller nations for for political advantage. It's been a delicate process already, Richard, and I'm obviously talking about Harry Maguire here and Gareth Southgate's decision initially to drop him was probably inevitable. He's keeping the position open. Uh, Maguire's legal team are preparing for a retrial with the original conviction annulled. In all those circumstances, do you understand, for instance, Manchester United retaining him as captain? It's it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think, obviously, they've spoken to Maguire, they've got his version of events, and, you know, that they, they are happy with them in terms of what Maguire's had to say in order to keep him as captain. So, I mean, that, that does speak volumes because if if they weren't happy with with, with what, what transpired out in Mykonos, you know, I'm sure the captaincy would have been stripped off him. So I, I think that is significant. As you, I know you mentioned England there as well. I mean, I was surprised to see him named in the squad just because of everything that, that was going on. And then obviously the exclusion. People say it brings about an embarrassment. I wouldn't say it's embarrassing, but I think probably just for, for both sides, almost safety net, almost just to not include him. But as you say, for him to keep the, the captaincy at Manchester United is significant. It does show obviously faith in their, in their big investment, obviously £80 million signing last summer. And... and We'll just have to see how it all transpires, really. And as you say, preparing for a retrial, saying could be, could take about a year to to come around. Will that be hanging over him as the season come? You know, goes into full flow next season. You know, we we don't know, but um, yeah, it'll be an interesting twelve months for sure for Maguire. Definitely, it'll be interesting to see how things pan out for him on the pitch in light of everything that's happened. Yeah, it'd be interesting when fans do actually return to see what the reaction of fans to him were. You know how antagonistic it is these days, Sarah. Mm. Can we just look at maybe the uh, the broader sort of underlying issue of all this? And that's the almost the unreality of footballers' lifestyles. You know, when they're away from the game, they're almost moving targets for people, you know, with phones and, you know, that people think they can get away with saying anything to anyone in the public eye these days. In the sort of inevitable outcome of this, is it going to be that footballers will almost withdraw into their little privileged bubble? I, I think so. You know, someone like Harry Maguire, one of the things that that people have so 
you know, liked about him and the reason that they warmed to him during the last World Cup was because he seemed so quote unquote normal and approachable, you know, not not like he separates himself from anybody else. But But can can you be normal, Sarah, when you're paying a barbell of sixty three thousand pounds? Yeah, that's a good question. It's <laughs> a good question. Um, yeah, I guess that that's the way he comes across, you know, when he talks. He doesn't seem like he's got, you know, a huge ego or anything like that. But I think the, what's happened over the last week or so, you know, it has to change him. It, it would change anybody going through something like this. It will make him think twice about where he goes, you know, and 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 the reality is that he will probably think, you know, maybe I shouldn't be in these kind of places if I do, maybe I need security. You know, I think Ed Woodward was, um, I can't remember where he was, but he was just in a in a bar before a game and, and a Manchester United fan abused him. You know, and, you know, that again is going to make Ed Woodward think, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. I should be separating myself. So I think today it's just, it's just inevitable that players have to think a bit more carefully and about where they go and what they do, which is quite sad, really. They shouldn't. They shouldn't have to put up with it, should they, Richard? No, no, uh, um, not at all. And it's it's one of those things, as you say, is they're either damned if they do, damned if they don't. You know, fans for ages have been crying out for kind of more access to players, and you know, players not being as as almost shut off from the real world and in inverted commas. Yet when players do make an effort to kind of integrate themselves into a kind of normal society. We see instances like like we have done. You know, you mentioned Edward with there. You, you know, we saw an instance of Zaha outside Stanford Bridge last season just getting into his car and getting abused from there. And you say we're in an era now where just as a whole respect for people just is going out the window. And as you say, for some reason, fans seem to view players as as their property and can speak to them how they want to. And that's something I completely disagree with. Yeah, I think we're getting to the stage where enough's enough on that. And I suppose also in mitigation, Gareth Southgate has done as much, if not more, than most managers in terms of making his players approachable and available and almost believable. He's obviously going to be judged on selection decisions, Sarah. The interesting one for me on this batch of matches is the omission of Jack Grealish. Southgate, it seems, sees him as a wide player, so he's going to be behind Sterling and Sancho and Rashford and Greenwood. Is he a talent in danger of being underutilised or underrealised? I think so. I mean, it, it is a really, really surprising omission. And I know Southgate has explained it by saying, you know, he sees him as a wide player or a 10, not as a midfielder where, where Villa have used him, but... You know, when you look at the way he played for Villa, especially in the in the latter half of the season, where he, you know, he was basically responsible for for helping them stay up. Those performances and that consistency is what Southgate was asking him for. I think last time he left him out, so now he's probably thinking, what well, you know, what more can I do? And it, it's surprising because he's he's versatile. You know, it, you don't have to pick him as a wide player or a ten, which puts him behind the likes of Greenwood, Rashford. Sterling, Sancho, you know, that, that England midfield, I, I, I don't think it would be diminished by putting Jack Grealish in it. <laughs> you know, I think what he gives you and, and also the leadership side of things, he's, he's proved that he, is, he can be a leader on the pitch. And he, I think he just gives you something a bit different to the other midfielders that, that England have got. 
So I don't, I don't really understand it unless there is something else that Southgate has with Grealish. There's something that we don't know about. You know, perhaps he's not happy about there were issues with Grealish breaking lockdown. I think once in the last few months, you know, I don't know, but maybe he's he's decided personality wise, there's something there that he doesn't he doesn't feel fits. But yeah, you know, like if he has to start thinking about leaving Villa to, you know, to get a better look in at England, I think I think that's a shame because, you know, the the performances that he's put on in for Villa and and the way that he leads that team has been really impressive. Yeah, you know, we've we've heard and assumed down the years that it helps your chances of playing for your country if you're at the biggest clubs. Now, with the greatest respect to Aston Villa, they're not quite at that level. They're being pretty pragmatic about their recruitment this summer. You know, some talk about Kieran Trippier going in there. But do you think realistically that there's a danger of Grealish's career stagnating if he stays at Villa Park because you know Richard he's 25 after all and these are the key years aren't they I I think so I think the role that Grealish has there in terms of you know he's the main man there and as I alluded to the fact that he's taken on that leadership mantle of the last couple of seasons has been great for his development you really see him taking responsibility in games and taking you know the game by the scruff of the neck which is things which we all love to see but it just seems to be a shame that, as you say, he would need to move to a bigger club in order to fulfil his England hopes. At the same time, you, you do want to see that the best players at the best clubs and see how far he can go in a game. You know, this is a player with immense quality. You've already mentioned that he, he's a very versatile player as well. can play both flanks as a 10, as a number eight as well. He's got so much quality and he can bring so much to uh, to a number of teams. So I think just for as a as a as a neutral looking looking on, you really want to see players like him really maximise their potential. And while I think he's got that leadership and that leadership mantle at Aston Villa, I should say, I would love to see him at a, at a big club, in inverted commas, playing it at the highest level and seeing how far he can go. Yeah, I think, you know, in this coming season, there's going to be a, a lot of noise surrounding Leeds. Calvin Phillips selected for the first time, Obviously, you've got a good range of passing, which we've seen in the championship. Do you think that selection is a bit premature, Sarah? I could be wrong, but my, my feeling is that he selected him to almost give him a taste of being in the camp. I, I don't think Phillips has been part of any youth England squad at all. So this will be his very first experience of joining up with England, being part of the camp before matches. I'll be quite surprised if he actually plays. Yeah, so that, my feeling is that he's been brought in for that so that perhaps next time, you know, once Phillips has hopefully played a fair few games in the Premier League and we've seen how he competes at that top level, he's he can be brought in, back into the England squad and, and he's ready to play without, you know, having to go through all this for the first time. I can understand how it does look premature, especially when I think Southgate said last time that Jack Grealish needed to be playing regularly in the Premier League before he would look at picking him seems quite contradictory when you look at it like that. But but I think with Phillips, I, I suspect that that is, is Southgate's plan. Yeah, I suppose, you know, the one thing you cannot argue with Southgate about is his commitment to young players. Well, there's no left-backs in this squad. Rich, do you think he's missed the chance to blood Bukayo Saka? I, I think so. I mean, I've been very impressed 
with, with, with Saka this season in terms of his obviously his quality, but also his temperament. I mean, at Arsenal, he was asked to play in a number of different positions and he excelled pretty much in, in all of them. So, as you say, if no left-backs, it does seem a bit strange that Saka wasn't included. And I know, you know, uh, Nigeria are keen to, to, to get Saka on board as well. But that, this decision with no left-backs being picked and him still being overlooked, would that lead to England losing, you know, possibly a, a good young talent for the next 10, 15 years? Uh, you know, that, that would be a massive shame because I do see him having a big future. But... Yeah, I think he'll be really disappointed by by that admission and, and definitely as you say with Nigeria coming calling as well, I wouldn't be surprised if he did if he did choose them moving forward. Mm, that'd be a big loss, I think. Sarah, a simple question. Who's your first choice goalkeeper? <laughs> simple question, yeah. Um difficult answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is it is really at the moment. Um I, I think I'd probably have to go with Henderson. I know the question is, you know, he's going back to United. The suggestion is that he's now going to be competing with De Gea for the number one spot. And, you know, if he doesn't win that, then he's not going to be playing that much. And then you can't then have an England goalkeeper who isn't who isn't playing for his team. If he establishes himself as United's number one, then obviously brilliant. But but if he doesn't, then then that puts you in a, a difficult position if you've decided he's he's your England number one. I think the stats show that that Pickford made more mistakes leading to goals last season than than Henderson did. But there are also, I know he also has you know his critics who say that because he's been at Sheffield United, the mistakes he has has made have almost gone under the radar. We'll see. You know, once if he is does get to play for United, every single slip will be magnified by fifty times compared to what it was at Sheffield United. But I think for me, I, I would like to see him him given a shot for now. You're Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Richard. You've just seen Dean Henderson sign a five-year contract worth about 120000 a week. You've got David De Gea, who, let's not forget, was being hailed as the world's best goalkeeper not so long ago. Choose between them. I, I, I would like to see Henderson... Given a go, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think De Gea is a great goalkeeper, but I just think over the last two, three seasons now, he's made big mistakes in in, in key moments, and I know that he's been fantastic for Manchester United. But I think you know the big clubs you have to be ruthless, and as you say that those mistakes have cost United at, at times. I'm looking at the uh, top four season before last. I'm looking at the FA Cup semi-final, even last season. And it's just happening far too often for, for a top goalkeeper anyway. So I think even to throw Henderson in there, that will give hopefully give De Gea a, a sense of, OK, look, you know, I really need to up my game here. Otherwise, I am going to be left out of the side. It's going to affect my international chances with the Euros coming up as well and the World Cup coming up next year also. So... Yeah, for me, I'd I'd give Henderson the number one shot this season, and I know that would be not everyone's first choice. But I've been really impressed with him, and um, I like his temperament. I like his the way he commands his box. He's good, got good distribution as well. So, I'd make him number one. Okay, yeah. Well, it's a critical summer, at, you know, for quite a few clubs in the Premier League in terms of making a transition upwards. Can we look at Everton, Sarah? You can see Carlo Ancelotti's influence in the bid for James Rodriguez from Real Madrid. Player probably who hasn't fulfilled himself since you know, making the breakthrough in the World Cup. 
someone like that, do you need to balance the squad recruitment with someone like Watford's Abdullah Decore, who give you a bit more strength and solidity? Where do you see Everton going? Yeah, I think if you speak to Everton fans, their key concern this summer is central midfield. They really, really feel that they need to strengthen there before anywhere else. And they've also been, I think, disappointed in the kind of slowness of the way things are moving at Everton. Um, I, I think part of that is the impact of, of the pandemic. Before before COVID hit, I think they were very close to, to bringing in Gabriel. But since, since COVID's hit, you know, they found themselves quite far apart in terms of valuation with Lille. And he's obviously now bound for bound for Arsenal. Um, so they've already missed out on one signing. So the fans are frustrated and I think they 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 will want to make sure that as you know as attractive as a player like James Rodriguez might sound, you know, it's a good name, it's a big name, they will want to make sure that that, that midfield is is strengthened first, really, or definitely as well as. I think they're they're, they're looking at Alan um and Decore as well. And then, you know, with, with Hammers in in the eight or the ten role that could look really strong. But if you're bringing in Rodriguez at the expense of those players, I, I think that that is almost asking for trouble. They've, they've got a lot of dead wood as well that I think they need to shift Everton this summer, which is also, you know, could be difficult in, in the current climate. Mm. Looks like Arsenal have got a good player in, in Gabriel, doesn't it, Richard? What about, are they having understandable second thoughts in allowing Maitland-Niles to join Wolves? I think so, for for two reasons. I guess, firstly, you'd say Wolves are a direct rival you know, to Arsenal in terms of those Europa League spots, definitely. And also, what Maitland-Niles does give to Arsenal is a very versatile player, can play in a number of positions. And as you say, he's, whenever he's been called upon, he, he's done he's done well. So he, I think he's a good squad player for Arsenal in terms of them building their strength and depth. So I'd be surprised if they got rid of them, especially two Wolves, especially if they're both competing pretty much for the same position next year. Mm, yeah, OK. Well, as I say, we're probably in... We've now got, a, I think it's about a 48-hour window without any football until the Community Shield on, on Saturday afternoon. Arsenal obviously playing Liverpool in that. Is it a bit... I can't be bothered? What do you think, Sarah? Well, I'm an Arsenal fan, so... <laughs> but I have <laughs> I have heard lots of Arsenal fans say they are really not bothered about this game. And I, and I think this year, more than any other year, the Community Shield is going to be a friendly. You know, I don't think Arsenal, Arsenal played MK Dons, but I think that's the only friendly they've played in this, if you can call it a pre-season. I think the players were only... had to be back by last Saturday. So they'll have only really been back for a week by the time of this game, you know. So I think it will be more of a friendly than perhaps it ever has been. So, you know, I, I am hope I am looking forward to hopefully seeing more of Saliba. We might see, you know, Willian used perhaps, which, you know, though we know what he can bring, we haven't seen him how he fits into this Arsenal team. So yeah, I, I, I am interested, but I, I suspect for, for a lot of football fans, you know, it's probably not something that's gonna be high up on their radar. But there are issues to be addressed, I suppose, Richard. What about Liverpool and specifically Jeannie Wijnaldum? Now, it's almost assumed he's got a year left on his contract, assumed that that contract won't be renewed, yet he played all but one league games last season. 
He's been extremely consistent over the past four seasons. You know, are Liverpool almost in danger of not actually seeing what's in front of their face? I think so. I think the big word he used that was consistent and what he brings to the Liverpool team in terms of his energy, in terms of his dynamism in, in midfield. So, you know, he's good on the ball as well. I know people like to see him maybe get more goals from midfield. But in terms of how Liverpool are set up, I think he's perfect in terms of having the kind of three industrious midfielders and allowing the front three to really flourish. So I think if he was to, to be shown the door, I think he'll be a big miss purely because of what he brings to the team, you know, the energy, as you say, and as you say, consistency over the years. You know that when he plays, you are going to get seven out of ten, eight out of ten most weeks. And, you know, that, that that's just invaluable. Yeah, lest we forget that that Community Shield game is actually preceded by what is actually an intriguing match between Chelsea and Manchester City women. That game will give us a, a really good indication, won't it, Sarah, about the way that the Women's Super League will shape up in the coming season? Yeah, I hope so. I think it should do. City have obviously made a couple of quite big signings in the last couple of weeks with Rose Lavelle and Sam Mewis, who are part of the... Rose Rose Lavelle was fantastic in the World Cup, wasn't she? Yeah, absolutely. I've actually heard um, Farrah Williams, who's obviously an England legend, I think most capped England player, she actually thinks that she's the best, you know, she, she tips her as the best player in the world. Um, right now, you know, when you look at her, you think she's, you know, she's tiny. She doesn't look like she can impact anything. But, you know, she she was so impressive in the World Cup. Um, and so it'll be really, really interesting to see what she can do in, in the WSL. Also, City have a new manager, Gareth Taylor. So, you know, we'll get to see him go up against, you know, someone who is is the don of, of coaching, really, in, in Emma Hayes, you know, which will be a big, big test for him. And I'm sure he will want to show his employers and his team that he's capable of of going up against someone like Emma Hayes and, and coming out on top. So it will tell us a lot, I think, going into this new season. It's also been such a long time since these players, you know, since their season was was curtailed. So, it, you know, again, it, it could be a, you know, a friendly kind of feeling, but, but I think both teams will, will want to, to leave an impression. Yeah, I suppose one thing that... that will be highlighted is that both Chelsea and Manchester City have a commitment to this almost one club approach or whole club approach. Do you think that approach is undertaken by enough big uh, English clubs, Richard? I'm thinking in terms of, you know, Liverpool got relegated because essentially they took their eye off the ball. As you say, I think with clubs nowadays, you do need to have that one club approach. I mean, just in terms of, like, from a reputation perspective, I mean, you mentioned Liverpool there. It seems crazy that, let's say, the men's side have all these resources, as you say, league winners, won Champions League year before, and then the ladies' side relegated. I mean, I remember listening to Emma Hayes earlier in the season talking about playing at uh, a Liverpool player at Tranmere and how the pitch was just an absolute disgrace. Is those kinds of those gaps in investment and gaps in almost how both sides are treated, you know, people aren't going to look favourably at that. So I think as well, it's just good for the club's image. You know, you look at Manchester United, I mean, they, they, they built their women's team only recently after for years of not having a team, which would seem scandalous, really. So it's, I think it's great to see, and I'd like to see more clubs definitely, you know, going that way of moving forward. 
Yeah, one English player, Lucy Bronze, is going to be in the Champions League final on Sunday when her team, Lyon, play Wolfsburg. Played exceptionally well against PSG on Wednesday night when Nikita Paris got herself sent off, so she misses the final. Who do you see going through on that one, Sarah? Who's going to win the title? <laughs> it's not a hard question, is it? Um, no. <laughs> uh, I think Leon. I, I read they've they've not been knocked out of the competition since twenty fourteen. Will this be their fifth fifth one if they win this or sixth? I can't remember. Yeah, um, you lose count, don't you? Yeah, I mean it's it's yeah it it can get boring, I suppose, if you want to look at the, look at it that way, but. I think Wolfsburg were, were fairly lucky in their game against Barcelona. They were not the better team for most of the game, but they were efficient in, in scoring the goal that they needed to get the victory. But it's really hard to, you know, to pick any any winner other than Leon, given, you know, their history, the team that they've got, even without Nikita Paris, which is absolutely gutting for her. I'm sure she's she's, you know, really, really down about that. But yeah, I mean it's probably going to be Leon, I think, you'd have to say. Well, I'd like to sort of draw things together now and, and, and end up by by looking at the implications of the seismic events overnight in US sport. Um, the NBA playoffs were postponed in protest at racial equalities following the police shooting of Jacob Blake in Wisconsin last week. Major League Soccer and Major League Baseball teams refused to play to show their support. Tennis is being poor similarly today. To me, it's got the feel of a tipping point. Anger's being distilled and action's being taken. Now, modern athletes understand their social significance and the power of their platform. They communicate through WhatsApp groups. You know, they share links. They encourage debate. And it wouldn't surprise me to see socially conscious footballers follow suit. You know, we've seen initiatives already led by the likes of Raheem Sterling and Marcus Rashford. How do you see things playing out over here, Richard? It's an interesting one, for sure. I mean, first of all, obviously, commend what they're doing now in, in, in the USA, with the US sports anyway. I, I do think it's got to a stage where, not that enough's enough, because everybody knows that already, but what do we do? Because we see a lot of gestures, you know, I think take, the taking a knee was a great one in terms of how everybody got involved. It's been a big debate, hasn't it, over the years as to whether players should walk off the pitch if they do see these kind of things. But I think now, as you mentioned, the whole wider social standing, I think now is a time where, as you say, players have got their their platforms. And I think it'll be huge in terms of, of doing that and sending a message. And when I say that in, it happens in England, if that does happen, I, would, I wouldn't want people to say it's a response to what happens in America. I mean, of course, that is obviously huge over there but there are issues in England as well so if that does happen I just hope that the debate turns to the social issues and racial inequalities that we have in England not just moving it to America and almost sweeping it under the carpet for England as well so it would definitely open up that conversation a bit more I know it's been heavily spoken about already I just hope that the the impact of it is is felt moving forward do you think, though, we are getting to the stage where we have reached that tipping point that I talked about? And what do you think the reaction would be if certain players or certain teams 
maybe say, well, we're not going to start the Premier League on September the 12th. We'll we'll sit this one out. Thanks very much. It's... um... It would be a, such a powerful, a powerful move. I think if that if that did happen, um, in terms of the reaction, I think we all know how mixed it would be. It's depressing to say, but but you know we're all on social media. We probably all saw the reaction yesterday to you know three guys being moved on from Soccer Saturday, and the way that people reacted to that was was incredibly depressing. So I, I think the reaction would be a mixed one, but but I think worldwide it would be really positive and it would be it would be a very powerful position for the players to take. And if they feel that that it's the only way to to raise awareness and you know, taking the knee seems to have been lost somewhere since the Champions League restarted again, replaced by a, a logo on the screen for Black Lives Matter, you know. These things are all okay, but but they're not quite as powerful as as it would be for the players to say we're not playing. Yeah, we we need to move on, don't we, Richard? From from platitudes and slogans and t-shirts and hashtags, actions required. A hundred percent, because as you say, all of those things we've seen over the years, and and nothing's really happened. Really, I mean, I guess now we're talking about it more, but it, it's, things are still happening. On, on a daily basis. And I know, see, players are, are been talking at length about, you know, what to do and, and, and how to approach this. But as they say, any, any action at all would, would help move that on and there'll be a real statement of intent. And as you say, if players don't don't play, it affects more than just, obviously, viewers, affects people, it affects money, it affects things at the top of the game where people will have to take note. And as you say, it'll be, a, it'll be, it'll be absolutely huge, it'll be seismic if, if that was to happen. But I think these things need to happen now because we've seen all the same stuff before, slogans, hashtags, and, and they're all boring and they don't really do anything, really. You know, we need actions now. And um, it's a shame that almost the players have to take it into their own hands because you, you'd like to think that the authorities would be there to support them. But we've seen over the years that through kind of mediocre fines and punishments that have they really. So, yeah, I think now's the time where, let's say, things could be accelerated and... Um, Hopefully, we 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 see uh, you know bigger outcomes you know, for this kind of behaviours. Yeah. yeah, Sarah, you know you work in boxing a lot of the time, which has a high percentage of black athletes. You you've written a book with uh, Roxana Begum, the the world Mai Tai champion, who's a powerful role model in the Asian community. In your experience, do you see solidarity across sports? That's a really interesting question. I I haven't seen... Well, actually, that's a lie. So we saw Anthony Joshua speaking um, at a, a rally in Watford a month or so ago, which obviously got hugely covered because it was filmed and put on, on social media. And, I mean, some, you do see with some athletes, they are more reluctant. I suspect in boxing, you know, they don't have the kind of assurance of of a team behind them. They are individuals. They only make money if they get put on shows, if they get fights. So I think there's a little bit more anxiety, I guess, about speaking up too much because of that. Anthony Joshua is in a very powerful position and, and he understands that. So he has the confidence, I think, to use to use his position in a similar way to, to how we're seeing in the US. 
But I think for other athletes, it can be a, a difficult, you know, it, it can be difficult for them because their sport is the way they make a living. So as much as they will feel strongly and perhaps want to speak out, they might also think, well, how is this going to affect me and my future? But I think they all they all feel it. Of course they do. You know, they're not they're not blind to what's going on here and elsewhere elsewhere in the world. But it's just I think that the difference is in terms of the the power that they perhaps they have they feel they have is is perhaps different compared to you know footballers and NBA players. Mm. Well, you might not have heard of Jason Hayward. He's got a contract worth $188 million to play baseball for the Chicago Cubs. He refused to play last night, and his explanation is worth listening to. He said, Sports sometimes are a distraction, and not in a bad way. But when you have causes that need to be spoken on and acted on, I think it's huge that sports do also pay attention and use the platform that we have. I think those words will resonate with many footballers today. Thanks to Sarah and Richard for their insight. And thanks to you for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.